Well, good morning, Gresham Bible Church. Great to see everybody. I don't know about you, but I loved coming to church without there being snow and ice on the roads. Can I get an amen? No. Peter says no. All right. That's okay. Uh, So today, if you haven't been with us, we have been in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, If you have been with us, we're just going to continue our series today. We're going to be in verses 9 through 11. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you. Make your way there. Isaiah 40. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11 today. And as you make your way there, I'm curious. What are some things that you hold in tension in your life? Maybe something that you don't think or you don't feel it goes together, but it actually does. For me, as I've been thinking about that this week, a few things came to mind, namely when Carrie was pregnant with our oldest son, Weston. Taco Bell runs make a ton of sense, right? for ladies been pregnant, what didn't make sense, the thing held in tension was that Carrie's favorite go-to snack was a pickle wrapped in American cheese. She loved it. It was amazing. Personally, I don't think those two things go together, but they did for Carrie, okay? Or maybe sriracha on popcorn. Don't knock it till you try it, okay? Or ketchup on mac and cheese, Amazing. Yes, I heard. Yes, thank you. So some, amen, some things that you don't think go together, but wow, they sing and they definitely do. Or the apparent contradiction of my memory. Maybe some of you are like me. You can remember the starting lineup and stats of the 1995 Seattle Mariners, but I can't remember what Carrie asked me to pick up from Fred Meyer on the way home. Why is that, right? Two contradictions. Or maybe, I'm just kind of walking us into this, maybe at a bigger and more profound kind of way, the contradiction or apparent contradiction of love and loss, right? If you're going to love, you risk being vulnerable, and it's a promise that you're going to hurt at some level, right? So these things that appear to stand on their own, but they actually work together, So in our text today, that's what we're going to see. We're going to consider true truth about who God is in his fullness, a real reality that we're to behold, real reality about God that comforts exiles. That's what we're going to see together today in Isaiah 40. So follow along with me now, put your finger on the text in front of you, and I'm going to read aloud verses 9 through 11. This is God's word. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will gather them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So let's pray together before we begin. Please bow with me in prayer. Father God, please quiet our noisy hearts today as we come before you to hear from your word. We need to hear from you today to behold you to reorient our lives in your gospel. 
Father, help me now to preach with clarity and conviction and love. Open your word to us and open us to your word. It's in the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11, we're going to look at three movements or three points of emphasis in the text in each verse. So verse 1 is proclamation. Then verse 10 is power. And then lastly, in verse 11 is provision. So proclamation, power, provision. First, proclamation, verse 9. Look at God's word. What does verse 9 say? Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So I want to ground our text in the context. Remember how chapter 40 started. God called out to the prophet to comfort, comfort my people. And then a voice cried in verse three. And then in verse six, a voice said for Isaiah to cry, right? So that brings us up to verses nine through 11. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because if there's this promise to comfort, in order for that to be believed, in order for that to be received and rested in, that has to be announced, doesn't it? So that brings us up to verse nine. Really, when you think about it, for a message of comfort to be received, it needs a voice. It needs a herald of good news. That's what's happening here in verse 9. So just real quick, notice with me where and how the herald is to proclaim this good news. The beginning of verse 9, where is it? What's the location? Go on up to a high mountain. And the one proclaiming this message is told to do what? just kind of say it, to lift up your voice with strength. This proclamation is one that's to be made without fear, without being ashamed of what the herald is to herald. And what is the herald heralding? What's it say? Good news, right? So the progression again of chapter 40, so far God tells this messenger to comfort his people comfort them in preparation for their exile. And then when this is read in exile, it's to comfort God's people. And then how were they to be comforted? Remember, prepare the way, the promise of the coming king. And then this king, who Todd did such an awesome job last week, unpacking verses six through eight, this king whose word stands forever in verses six through eight. So that again, I wanna bring us into nine through 11, into this heralding into this using one's voice, using words to proclaim an announcement, to proclaim a true message, okay? So think about what a herald is. Probably some of you know this right now. A herald is someone who does what? Makes a public proclamation, right? Stands up, hear ye, hear ye, uses one's voice. It's like in ancient times, like when you know nations or whatever, city-states would battle and then one would conquer the other. After that victory happened, they would send out heralds to proclaim the good news of which side won, going village to village, city to city, proclaiming good news of victory. So a herald is someone who proclaims good news. And we know this, don't we? 
I hope your mind's already going to Romans chapter 10 that expounds on this idea. The ball's handed off. Paul takes it in Romans and he applies it like this about heralding and using words to proclaim good news. Romans 10 says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So preaching what you are hearing from me right now is proclaiming, same idea. It's heralding, okay? And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says this about the importance, the critical importance of heralding of proclamation. Romans 10, 17, if you haven't memorized it, do it. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So this heralding here in Isaiah 40, it echoes across the Bible. We see a mountain peak of it in Romans 10, this heralding, this proclaiming, right? In order for someone to believe the gospel, someone has to herald the gospel. It has to be heard. So just take a minute, think back. When did you trust in Jesus? When did you bow the knee, repent, and believe the gospel? Someone told you the gospel for that to happen, right? Someone heralded good news for you to hear. I want to press us in this for the prayerful desire that we become more faithful heralders as Christians. Think about it. Do you have a problem heralding things you love? Probably not. I love to herald a new restaurant that I like. I like proclaim it from the mountaintops, right? I love to herald when my favorite team wins. I love to herald my family. I love them. I have no problem speaking about them. I bet it's same for you. You herald what you love. You talk about it. God's designed us. What your heart treasures and praises, your mouth is going to speak. So you're heralding something, right? We have no hesitation to do that. So it's not a matter of if God's people are heralds. It's a matter of what you're heralding, okay? So verse nine is highlighting the reality that God's people are to be heralds first and foremost about God. That is what verse nine clearly nails to the wall. We are all heralds. We are to be heralding most about God. And in order to herald something, I don't want to just assume this. A few of us were at a conference the last two days that just was amazing and ministered to me, and it talked about this. Let's not assume what we think heralding the good news is. Is heralding the good news a game of charades? When you trusted in Jesus, did that come to you by someone acting it out in front of you or by words? It was by words. It was probably by someone whose life adorned the gospel and was consistent with the gospel they were proclaiming, but you received a gospel message because it was spoken to you by words and you heard it, okay? So heralding is proclaiming with your words about who God is and what he has done. Just like the heralds of old who went from village to village, city to city, proclaiming the news that the king has won. They didn't act it out in the city square. They proclaimed it with their voice. 
So as Christians, we're also called to herald what's been done by God before we're to talk to people about what they're to do, okay? You're heralding news, right? We know this, heralding news. We're to proclaim the good news. That's what it says right in verse 9, the gospel, right? Good news, hear gospel. You're to proclaim it because why? You couldn't have believed it if someone didn't proclaim it to you. Others can't believe it unless it's heralded, okay? So specifically here in Isaiah 40 and then throughout the Bible, we have to make sure that our proclamation is about news, good news, not just good advice, okay? News about who God is and what he has done. John Stott put it like this, the gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. Not a demand, but an offer. So reflect with me real quick. Over this last week, over this last year in your life, are you proclaiming more good advice or good news? That's worth reflecting on. Do you proclaim a declaration of what God has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ or good advice? Let that hit home because good advice doesn't comfort people. Good news does. Good news comforts exiles. Good advice helps exiles manage and have good helpful life hacks to get through their day. That doesn't comfort, comfort God's people. Only good news comforts God's people. So here in verse nine, there's this herald of good news and he's proclaiming something, isn't he? He's proclaiming with words, with his mouth. He's told to say something to these exiles, to God's people here in Isaiah 40, who's, who are gonna hear this message. He's told to proclaim to God's people. Look at the end of verse nine. What is he just shouting out unashamedly? He says, behold your God. So we have to ask, if he's heralding good news to comfort exiles, why is beholding God good news? And so this brings us to verse 10, power, okay? Verse 10 and verse 11 are gonna lead us into and help us feel the weight and the wonder of two things you don't think, think go together, but they do and they have to in order for good news to be good. And those two things are we to behold God who is transcendent and who is eminent. A transcendent God who is mighty, who is the creator, who is all powerful, as we're gonna see later in Isaiah 40, who rules and reigns over galaxies, who nations are has nothing before him. This God is transcendent. He is absolutely sovereign and he is great as king and completely other as holy. Full stop, verse 10 brings us to this of who we're to behold. And this God who is eminent and near and good and loving, both of those fully at the same time. If you're like me, and I bet you are, our tendency, maybe in different seasons of your life, your personality, 
uh, maybe the upbringing or maybe even some spiritual abuse you had in your life at some point, you're going to lean one way or the other. You're going to go into one side of the road or the other, more into the transcendence or more into the eminence. But it's critical, and I'm using that word in what it means. It's critical for your soul to have both together at the same time. And that's what we're going to see here. I want to prime the pump and tee up what we're going to see, what we're going to behold here in verses 10 through 11. There is no other God like this. He is absolutely amazing. He is fully transcendent and fully eminent. And as we like to do here at GBC, as I've just been thinking about this text and praying about it over the week, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we're really sincerely glad that you're here. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you as we're going to explore verses 10 through 11 to consider if there is another God like this in the pantheon of gods in any other religion in the history of the world. I'm going to challenge you. Is there another God like what we're going to see here in verses 10 through 11? And if you're being honest, and I hope that you are in that, the transcendence and eminence of God is the transcendence and eminence that you've been longing for your whole life. So I want you to think about that if you don't know Jesus yet. Look down with me at verse 10, and I hope it just sings in your soul. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. So we're to behold this God that comes with what? With might. Might befitting the creator and the holy God whose arm rules for him. So God's arm, it's a recurring theme in the whole book of Isaiah. It means God's power. It's like warrior God, okay? That's his arm. It speaks of God as a warrior who's in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, okay? This idea has been carried from the beginning of Isaiah to now. Remember back in Isaiah chapter six, verse three, when God is said to be holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in view of this, how did Isaiah the prophet respond? He says, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So God's people as exiles are to behold God, the one who is all-powerful and mighty and infinitely transcendent. That's what's happening here in verse 10. And then look at how verse 10 ends. I don't want to assume that we all know what the word recompense means, okay? Verse 10 ends, says God's reward is with him and his what? His recompense is with him. So in order to get this and then to lead us into verse 11, right, we have to hold these two things together in tension. We have to know what recompense is. Real quick, the word or idea for recompense, it means work or reward or wages. So when God's recompense is with him, it's his work, it's his reward, it's his wages, okay? And then when you zoom out in scripture, it can be used positively in some places, and negatively or punitively in other places, okay? So just real quick, there should be a slide for this. Isaiah, just a few chapters before this, Isaiah 34, verse eight. 
It's used in a positive way. For the, I'm sorry, negative way. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And then real quick, it's used in a positive way, meaning reward in chapter 49, verse four. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with my God. So recompense can be a reward that's good news for God's people or recompense can be judgment or retribution, okay? And this idea of recompense, it goes all the way to the end of the story. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus talks about recompense kind of in the both and idea. Verse 12 in Revelation 22 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So verse 10, I hope you're feeling the real reality, the true truth of it. God is absolutely transcendent. He comes with might and his recompense is before him. So this is not a small God, a God that we can manage, not a God that can be ignored or mocked, This is not a God to be trifled with. He comes with might, with his recompense before him. This is the picture of a mighty warrior God who comes with unimaginable power. It's like if all the stars of the galaxies, right? All the stars of the universe were gathered together, the power of those suns, of those stars, It would be like if all the power of all the stars was one spark in just a huge inferno forest fire, okay? The power of all the suns is just pointing us to the power of this mighty warrior God. Or it would be like if all the power in all the universe was in this little drop of water, it would be one drop in all the oceans in all the world compared to the power of God. Okay, when we hear of this power of this transcendent God, it should just fill us with awe and a reverent fear. This is who God is. He is a warrior God. He comes with might. God is power. So if we stopped here as heralds, would God's transcendence be good news for us? Would it be good news? And that brings us to our third and final emphasis in verse 11, provision. Verse 10 clearly showed us that God is transcendent. In verse 11, we're gonna see that this same God is fully eminent too. Look down at verse 11. What's it say? He, God, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So this God, this mighty, powerful God is who we're to behold that comes like a shepherd who tends his flock, who gathers his lambs, who carries them and gently leads them. In view of what we just saw in verse 10, Verse 11 should amaze us. It should astound us. This isn't a safe 
little Thomas Kincaid painting on your wall of a shepherd. This is the mighty warrior God who says, you know what I'm like? I'm the warrior God who tends my sheep, who gathers my lambs. That's who I am. So he's fully transcendent and fully eminent. How does this transcendent God of all power use his power? By coming near. The warrior king is a shepherd. Wow. Jesus self-identifies with this portrait in John chapter 10 about himself. This is Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So let's connect his transcendence and his imminence. Remember the idea of recompense. The idea of recompense, it was at the end of verse 10 when we saw God's power. Think about this God who is all power. What could be his reward? Think about it like this. What do you get the man who has everything? What do you get him? What could be this transcendent God's reward, right? What could make God feel wealthy? What would God say is his treasure, is his reward? It's verse 11. It's his sheep. It's his flock. It's all who believe in the good news that's been heralded about Jesus Christ. It's us. Wow. This transcendent creator, holy, sovereign God, his reward, his recompense is his sheep. It's us. So remember God's arm back in verse 10 of mighty warrior God. What's his arm doing here in verse 11? It's gathering the lambs. That's the kind of God this is. So again, we have to have a category. It's critical that we have a category for God being transcendent and God being eminent, fully all at once, or your spiritual life is disfigured. You don't have a full balanced diet. God has to be transcendent and imminent. We have to behold him for who he is in his fullness. Because if you don't, again, your view of God is incomplete. And honestly, you've probably crafted a God in your own image, a God who never pushes back against you, a God who always agrees with what you think and how you feel, right? Because if you only see God as transcendent, if we only stop in 10, man, that's going to crush you. And it should. He's holy. But if you only have God as eminent, God becomes really safe. And you like rub his head, right? And he makes you feel just really good, warm and fuzzy all the time. He's a lot bigger and powerful than that. So think about it like this. What does the messenger say? He says, we're to behold God. Think about it like this. How does God behold us? This fully transcendent and eminent God. The transcendent God used his power to become eminent, to become like a shepherd, verse 11 says. So God beholds us as his sheep. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I want to apply this for those of you that have trusted in Jesus in this room. This means, don't just have like be like words that sound good. What does this mean? This means that God doesn't just forgive you. And I want to say that carefully. That's awesome. That's glory. He doesn't just forgive you. Remember in verse two, he doesn't just 
pardon your iniquity, doesn't pardon us as sinners. That's amazing grace, and it's even more amazing than that, okay? So if you're in Christ Jesus, if he sees you, this God of power, if he beholds you as his sheep, that means God doesn't just put up with you, right? God really, truly loves you. He cares for you. He tends for your needs. He provides what you need because he's your shepherd and you're his sheep. He sees you as his flock, as his reward. The creator God sees you, little in speck on planet earth, as his reward. And it's not, it's definitely not because what a good sheep you are. It's because of what a good shepherd he is, okay? So I hope, Christian, you see the fullness of life of this good news of what it really is. So again, only if if Jesus, only in him is your sin pardoned. Outside of Christ, the wrath of this mighty holy God will rightly fall on you and you don't stand a chance, okay? If you're in Christ, your sin has been pardoned and praise God for that. But again, it's more than that. I want you to push into this, okay? God accepts you through Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He's near to you, okay? He's a shepherd who's with his sheep. Again, it's not like this salvation, like you got a ticket for a concert and it just gets you in the room. But then to really be accepted in the room, you have to be a really good sheep. You got to perform like the best sheep in the room, right? And you don't really feel accepted. This good news pardons your iniquity and this great God accepts you. I heard this analogy about this. It helped me. I hope it helps you. So think about, I hope this won't be true for any of us in this room, Lord willing, but think about if you're on death row, okay? Just picture that. You're on death row. Then for whatever reason, some judge pardons you. He pardons your iniquity. Wow, you would be so happy, so thankful. I'm off death row. But then I don't know if it's a day or a week or even a year after that, like the reality of it hits you. My iniquity has been pardoned, but am I really accepted? Am I going to be able to get a job? Where am I going to live? Is anyone even going to want to marry me? You've been pardoned, but that's a long way from just being accepted, right? So the sheep of God have been pardoned and they've been fully accepted by this God. Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your sins are fully paid for, it is finished, and you've been fully accepted. You're wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. That's the kind of God, the kind of shepherd he is. He likes his sheep. He wants to be with his sheep. He gently cares for his sheep. He provides for his sheep. Okay, let the fullness of the acceptance that only comes through this good news like minister to your soul, okay? You, Christian, are pardoned, lovingly cared for, and accepted by the sovereign holy God of the universe. Wow. So when someone repents and believes in the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, again, how does God see you? You right now in this room, Christian, God sees you as his reward. 
as his sheep, as his recompense. The shepherd who actually delights in his sheep, who doesn't ignore his sheep, and again, doesn't just put up with them. He cares for them, he carries them, and he gently leads them. I'm not making it up. That's Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11. Because the transcendent God is the imminent God. So this is really good news that has to be heralded. I hope like you're feeling this with me, okay? The shepherd loves his sheep and gently cares for them and leads him. And again, why? Because he has to, because he wants to, because they're his reward. So for those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, means individual Christian for his church that Jesus says, I'm the chief shepherd of my church, okay? This is true for his church. This means that God will guard us. He will protect us. He will guide us and he will provide for us. God will answer all of our needs in Christ Jesus. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness and he will never ever fail us in this life and he'll never fail us in death either. God will be with you in life. He'll be with you in death and he'll be with you forever in eternity. That is God's eminence. That's what it means that God is a shepherd. And I I just want to ground this in God's word. How can I say that? How can we know this is really good news and not just good advice? Okay. How can we say that? And it's because of how heaven beholds the shepherd. Okay. Because the shepherd became a lamb to save his sheep. That's how much he loves his sheep. So how does heaven behold Jesus? As the lamb. Think about it. The shepherd became a lamb to save his sheep. In Revelation 5, I hope you know this. I hope it's coming to mind right now. We're taken into this scene in heaven where there's thousands and thousands of worshipers. And what do they say with a loud voice? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then... Two chapters later, Revelation 7, another great multitude is worshiping, a multitude that's going to include all of us in this room who worship Jesus, a multitude that's from every nation and tribe and tongue and people and language. Verse 17, Revelation 7 says this about the lamb. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb is the shepherd. The shepherd became the lamb because of how much he loves his sheep. So heaven beholds Jesus as the lamb. Heaven beholds Jesus as the lamb because it's the ultimate demonstration and display of how an all-powerful shepherd used his power to become a lamb. My man, Charles Spurgeon, heralded this about this good news. Listen to this. Spurgeon says, it was as a lamb that Jesus fought and conquered, and therefore it is as a lamb he appears in heaven. I have read of certain military commanders when they were conquerors, that on the anniversary of their victory, they would never wear anything but the garment in which they fought. It seems 
as if the same feeling possessed the breast of Christ. As a lamb, says he, I died and defeated hell. As a lamb, I have redeemed my people. And therefore, as a lamb, I will appear in paradise. So do you have a category for God being fully transcendent and fully eminent? Because his transcendence and eminence find their full climax in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans brings home from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 points us to the shepherd king. So how do God's people behold him as transcendent and imminent? How does God behold us, behold his people as sheep he loves and accepts and cares for as a shepherd? And how do we know this? How do we know that we know this? Because of how heaven beholds the shepherd as the lamb of God who takes away our sin. So if, if you're here, and uh, I don't know the right way to say this, but maybe, maybe you struggle with doubts about who God is. Maybe you'd even like identify yourself as a skeptic, okay? Maybe you even like have a category for God as transcendent in some kind of way. Like you look around at the design of everything, it had to have a designer. The iPhone in your pocket just didn't drop from the skies. It took a designer, Maybe you think, yeah, I, I get there's maybe some sort of higher power, right? But you wrestle with, and I resonate with it at some level, you resonate with if there's a God and he's all powerful, how can he really be good in light of the suffering I see, the headlines I see, maybe even like the suffering you've experienced? How can God be good? Well, God's eminence and transcendence that we see here in Isaiah 40, whatever the answer is to that question, it can't be that God isn't good and that God isn't kind and that God isn't loving and that God isn't caring and that God isn't in control. He's proven that for all eternity in Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, let me encourage you to press in to the fullness of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's proven for all time that God is transcendent and God is eminent. So I just want to drive this home. What kind of shepherd is Jesus? If you've grown up a Christian, you know the right thing to say right now. But in your heart, with your doubts, with your questions, in your pain, in your fear, what kind of shepherd is Jesus? He's the kind of shepherd who became a lamb to love and pardon and accept his sheep. So we can trust him, can't we? We can trust our God, our good shepherd. We can trust him through our fear, through our doubts, right? Through our pain. We can trust his intent and his design. We can trust where and how he leads us because he never calls us as his sheep to something he hasn't already experienced and taken on for us as our shepherd, as our, the lamb of God, right? You get how good of a God and what it means that he's our shepherd. A guy by the name of Richard Baxter said this, Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. That's your God. 
That's your shepherd who gently leads you and cares for you as a sheep. Christ leads you through no darker rooms than he went through before you. So as we close a message like this, uh, we should respond to it, shouldn't we? If you're here today, again, I've said this a few times, it's because I mean it. If you're here and you haven't repented of your sin, you haven't come to believe in Jesus, let me encourage you to do that today. Don't let another day go by of just trifling with this God, of labeling him, of keeping him at arm's length. Come to Jesus today. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to talk with the person you came with today. I bet they'd love to talk with you about Jesus. I'd love to talk with you about Jesus. Any elder member of GBC wants to talk with you about Jesus. And for us as Christians, as a church family, thinking about how does this apply to us? How do we shepherd the flock among us with this word from our good chief shepherd? I want you to think about, is this the good news that you're proclaiming? When was the last time you proclaimed, you heralded the gospel? When was the last time those words came out of your mouth to someone else? I'm not saying that to lay guilt. I'm saying that because of how great our God is and we're to be heralding this good news. The gospel is what saves sinners. The gospel is what builds his church. The gospel is what feeds his sheep. So we should be heralding it too. So are you heralding the good news? I pray and hope your life adorns the good news too, should be consistent with it, but are you heralding it? Are you speaking it? Are you not assuming it, but are you treasuring it to a degree that you can't help but talk about it? To one another and to the non-Christians in your life. The non-Christians in your life need to hear the good news, not just good advice. This is the good news our world needs today too, isn't it? We're exiles too. Exiles are to be comforted with the good news of who God is and what he's done. The warrior God who's a shepherd, who became the sacrificial lamb to do what? To save his sheep, to secure his sheep, to accept his sheep, and to bring them to pastures of joy everlasting with him. What a word. Isaiah 40 verses 9 through 11. So Gresham Bible Church, I'm going to pray for us in a minute. I just, I just want you to consider this, to consider this good news. So behold your God. So God's word is calling us to. And be comforted. Our God who is transcendent and imminent. Power and provision. Great and good. Mighty and meek. Sovereign and kind. Glorious and gracious. There is no other God like this. No other God who offers good news like this. So please bow with your heads with me in prayer. Father, we praise you for your good news, for the gospel, for the glory and grace and comfort and life made available only in Jesus Christ. Father, comfort those of us today who need to be comforted. For any here today who don't know you yet, through your spirit, I pray you will awaken them to behold you as you really are. Give them eyes to see and hearts to believe the gospel. 
Father, make us as a people, as a local church family, make us unashamed of the gospel who faithfully herald your good news. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.